Hello, and welcome to One Real Good Thing, where we dive into one thing you can do today to propel your life in a healthy direction. I'm Ellie Krieger, and today we're talking about the most nutritious, environmentally friendly food in the world that you're probably not eating, seaweed. There are so many exciting culinary possibilities to explore here, and I'm excited to dig in. My guests are Kate Geegan, an award-winning dietitian, sustainable nutrition pioneer, and co-founder of the nonprofit Food and Planet, and Sachi Singh, the founder of Rootless, a trailblazing company which makes delicious seaweed-powered whole food nutrition bites. With a decade of experience in international climate change solutions, Sachi found seaweed to be a rare bright spot, a timeless ingredient with transformative potential for health, climate, and local economies. Listen, Sachi and Kate, it is so good to have you here. And I love what we're talking about today because this is something that just has really enlightened me that I just feel so sparked by this kind of new topic for me, really. And I thank you, Sachi, for bringing this to my attention. And I want to kind of paint a picture of how I met you so that the folks understand. So I met Sachi at a event in Brooklyn in this really cool, like kind of pottery workshop slash cafe um, at this event for her brand, which is called Rootless. And at this really cool event, we're just some, you know, lovely people and bites, all kinds of bites of foods, like uh, all different foods and tastes of things that had seaweed in them, including a beverage, which was infused with the seaweed, which was super cool. And then I got to taste the rootless bites because this is the company's name is rootless. And um, you make these amazing bites, which are whole food nutrition bites. And they each all of the bites, all the different flavors deliver the benefits of seaweed. And I thought they were delicious. And I want to get into more about that in particular of how good they are and all the flavors and stuff. But I really, one of the things that enlightened me was having a conversation with you, Sachi, because you come from this environmentalist background. And it was our conversation that really inspired me because of your environmental background and why you started the company. And when you were telling me about this, I was like, I have to have her on the podcast. So please tell us about that. Like, I hope everyone feels as enlightened as I do when they hear your story. Thanks, Ali. That was such a kind intro. And I'm so excited to, to be chatting with you and Kate about seaweed, which is one of my favorite things in the world. So thank you for creating the space for us to chat about it. Um, so let's see, a little background. I'm originally from India. I moved to the States uh, for college a long time ago and pretty early on in my career, I stumbled into the climate change space. So I've spent about a decade of my professional life working across international climate solutions in think tanks and philanthropy and academia. I got my master's in environmental management from Yale uh, from 2015 through 2017. And it was actually in that kind of heady academic space that I discovered seaweed. Um, I was doing uh, climate adaptation research in the South Pacific in my summer between grad school years um, in 2016. And I saw my first seaweed farm in Kiribati in the middle of nowhere, South Pacific. And it was just, it just kind of hooked me, you know, after a decade of doing this work on um, climate solutions, it was the first thing that made me feel like there was hope, that there was a future that felt regenerative and healthy, both for people and planet. 
Um, so just a little kind of deep dive into seaweed itself. Um, Seaweed is one of the most nutrient dense and diverse foods on the planet. So each species has a slightly different nutrition profile, as you would find in a kale and a spinach. Uh, but broadly, we're talking high quality protein, dietary fiber, vitamins, minerals, bioactives, unique kind of phytonutrients, um, the regular consumption of which has it's been linked with reduced rates of metabolic syndrome disease in communities that are eating seaweed regularly, like in Japan and Okinawa. Um, so it's incredibly healthy for kind of human health. On, on the flip side, um, it is also uniquely healthy for the planet. So it is a zero input crop, which means it doesn't require fresh water, fertilizer, pesticides, even land to grow. It just needs sunlight and ocean water. And it's actively regenerating the environment in which it's grown. So it's providing standing structure for marine biodiversity to thrive. It is um, kind of actively cleaning up the ocean, making it healthier for shellfish. There are these beautiful studies to show that when shellfish are grown in the water column that contains seaweed, their shells are actually thicker and healthier. Um, and it's providing access to, to reliable livelihoods to coastal communities that have been ravaged by, you know, warming seas, climate change. So in, you know, a decade of doing this work, it was the first win-win-win thing that I found. And I, I did believe, I continue to believe that seaweed could be the future of food and future of farming. So I quit my job in late 2020 and climbed philanthropy to start Ruthless as a way to just get more people to eat and grow sustainable seaweed. And you thank you for that. And you call it rootless because seaweed has no roots. Is this true? Okay. I mean, so this was an somehow a revelation to me also when I was and, and interesting that there are seaweed farms because I never really thought about it like that. I used to go fishing with my family a lot with my dad. And whenever I got seaweed on the end of my line, he'd say, you caught a ribbon fish. No. So, and I was so excited because I caught this ribbon fish and it, um, Maybe there was more to that than he realized at the time. He was just trying to make me feel better. But um, so I think about it as something that's just sort of like that you can kind of gather from the ocean. But in fact, why, how is it, why is it good that there are these farms? It's just a more reliable source or how, how is that beneficial? Uh, more reliable source, I think there is kind of the natural carrying capacity um, uh, for seaweed kind of from an ecosystem perspective. So um, especially if you're harvesting responsibly or sustainably, you don't want to take too much. You don't kind of want to over harvest. So I think farming provides just kind of an alternative source of, of, of the, the food crop. And um, you're, you're actively putting seaweed into the ocean. So it's kind of um, absorbing more carbon, you know, providing all of that ecosystem uh, uh, service and benefit um, in an additive way as opposed to do. I think with wild harvested seaweed, you're actually taking away the seaweed and kind of uh, creating an environment in which it can it can regenerate. Right. And how many varieties of seaweed are commonly eaten? I mean, I'm sure the the ecosystem of seaweed is similar to plant life on land, that it's just like countless varieties. So there's probably so much to discover. Um, I wonder, but I know that certain types of seaweed are eaten most traditionally. Can you Either of you, actually, Kate, feel free to chime in um, on what are the most commonly eaten seaweeds and like how are they eaten culturally? Because when I, whatever I pulled up from on my fishing line with my dad, I know I wasn't thinking about eating that, but there are cultures in this world that, that is a main uh, and important food source. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to chime in. And Elliot, such a 
such a pleasure and honor to be here talking about this, um, really this fun, exciting space for where food, culinary, health, nutrition, flavor, and sort of the sustainability that this quintuple win, 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 win. So um, yeah, I I think one, one point I just wanted to add is, as Sachi said, and I think, by the way, doesn't she make such a beautiful, actually just advocate for the space of how she explains it and how she was drawn in, I think is just so beautiful. And I had a really similar journey of just the excitement around this, but it is a very old, not just an old food that's been hand harvested around coastal rocky shores and calm waterways, but it's actually mariculture has been practiced along the coast of Asia, in parts of Hawaii, many parts of the world, Korea, Japan, China, for centuries, um, growing these in an intentional way and harvesting them as part of diets. Um, we see them actually also, Ellie, I know you're a fan of the blue zones, these areas on the planet, National Geographic did all this work of where's that intersection of health span and lifespan, where you live the longest, most vitality, disease-free lives. And Okinawa, um, seaweed, and different varieties are a mainstay cultural food of the Okinawan diet and even parts of the Mediterranean diet, um, the coasts of France and Italy um, incorporate these foods traditionally. In fact, when I was just in Spain in April, they had a plate of prosciutto and melon and then pickled sea vegetables on top the way we would do capers or in Germany, you might find a gherkin. So um, it's been really fun to discover these, you know, while for many of your listeners, it might be new to their journey and they might not be familiar, but these are well-known ingredients with a long history of food as medicine. In fact, archaeologists found seaweeds packed and brought on, you know, Polynesian voyages um, millennia ago. So an exciting food that sort of falls in that ancient food, traditional food, but also a cool invitation for all sorts of eaters to either enjoy them in traditional ways or these new innovations, right? Like help smoothie cubes are a hot trend right now, um, or help dusted popcorn or simmering a slice of kombu, which is a type of kelp in your beans actually reduces the gas associated with eating beans. So that's a really handy tip, you know, no matter what tradition you come from or food pathway you come from. Yes. That being a combo combo um, tip is amazing. And Joe Yonan, whose book cool beans um, is fantastic. And he came on one of the early episodes of the podcast. If anyone wants to refer back to it. And that is his big, one of his big takeaways from his exploring beans as he's creating this book is that putting kombu in the beans as you're cooking them reduces the kind of flatulence. And it also adds the savory flavor. And I want to get more into the flavor um, element of it as well, which I, I, I do want to discuss that. So, but let's come back to that a little bit later, because I do want to say, I just want to make sure everyone who's listening knows that Kate and I have known each other for a long time. And she's a fellow dietitian, and I've always admired her work, um, always admired your work, Kate. 
in the field of nutrition and where it intersects with sustainability. And just you're just such a groundbreaking presence in this and voice in this. And I always admire you. And so I'm so happy to have you here. So uh, we have- Feeling some- is mutual, Ellie. I really, thank you. I really respect and, and just so value that we are on this journey together of what are these new narratives around taste, flavor, and health that can invite people to enjoy the wellness process and not feel like it's one more thing they have to add to their list, but they, it's, it's adding real pleasure to their plates and their lives. Yeah. And and one of the the most joyful thing, I completely agree. We're on the same page with that. And I know Sachi is too. And one of the things that I love about food in general, and that I find most exciting about food in general and healthy food in particular is there's always something to discover. There's always something new. It's never boring. Anyone who's bored with their healthy eating just has to maybe listen to a couple of episodes of this podcast to really just be enlightened. (laughs) But one of the things about seaweed that I find is as soon as I started being aware of it, it was in so many places. Like it is really to your point of it being in Spain and um, definitely in Japan, which is where we may normally associate it. You know, you get sushi roll, it's in wrap in a nori wrap, right? Type of seaweed, Um, the kombu and, and bonito flakes, fish flakes is what makes the dashi, which is the core broth of Japanese cuisine. So um, people may think about it in terms of that, but it really does span the globe in terms of coastal communities. And I was in Alaska two summers ago. I have no sense of timeline, several summers ago, <laughs> pre-COVID anyway. But anyway, we were foraging a lot. And one of the things that we wound up eating with our salmon was um, sea cucumber. So I don't even know if that's technically seaweed, but it was a really wonderful experience. I loved the texture. I loved the way it tasted. It just was this perfect addition to the salmon dinners we were having um, with the wild berries we were picking. Um, And it was just very much just part of the normal coastal community diet there. So Mm. it's, it's, it's really everywhere you look. Sea cucumber is technically not a sea vegetable, which I know. Oh, is not, part not, of the not cucumber. I didn't mean cucumber. Sea asparagus. Sea cucumber oh, is, a, is an animal. Correct. I meant, yes, I don't, not that. I, sorry. Sea I asparagus meant- is delightful and tastes like asparagus and is crunchy and briny and crunchy and oh, almost has that pickled, beautiful color, like a jewel tone green. Yes, at that. That's what I'm talking. So cucumber, I don't think I could really touch, honestly. <laughs> that's kind of gross looking to me. But see asparagus it was indeed. <laughs> yeah. And then but, just one last point I wanted to add, because there you guys were bringing it up. We actually looked at this in the research, Ellie. There's um, approximately, approximately 11,000 types of seaweeds. And these are, you know, these sea plants, these basically macro algae is what they are. Um, And of edible varieties between 200 and 500, depending on which data you look at are, have been used for human consumption, but it's an exciting time because when you think of what happened in land-based agriculture, right, this whole explosion and looking at things like mung bean for protein for scrambled eggs, which, you know, when you and I were starting out as dietitians, no one was really doing that. So I think we're at the early age of mapping the full potential of these species. And and that's really where Sachi is a innovator and a pioneer to say, how do we harness the power of seaweed, 
with this triple win-win it brings to people, planet, and sort of economies. Um, so, so we're in early innings, and that's a really exciting time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and one of the things I do want to get to down the road is like just really practical ways of incorporating seaweed. So we will talk about that, you guys. With all this background, I mean, I think what's fascinating to me is 90% of Americans don't even get like two cups of vegetables a day. So like then to push people into this whole other realm of vegetables is an interesting prospect. And so I just want to make sure that you all know that there's going to be uh, some really practical, easy ways and delicious ways that we're going to share to get seaweed into your life. So, so I hope you'll listen through for that. But before we get there, I did want to talk about the nutritional benefits a little bit. So Sashi touched on it, but um, Kate, as a registered dietitian, I know this is your you know area of expertise and study and I would love to hear really specifically, what are the nutritional benefits of seaweed? What's really, where's the data? What, what studies have been done on this? Mm, yeah, it's such a great question. And I, I think there's three broad things I would say. The first is it is a nutrient dense plant superstar. So it is packed every bite. Now, as Sachi said, with all the varieties, they're going to have different exact nutrient profiles. So you can read that label, but broadly speaking, you're getting over 20 bites, 20 nutrients of essential vitamins, minerals, omega-3s. You're getting prebiotics, fiber. This is really helpful for gut health. A real key area, Ellie, is that you're getting these minerals, things that can be hard to get, selenium, iron, magnesium, zinc, um, even choline. Some of these have are, are sources of choline and omega-3s. So really, really chock full of nutrition and quality nutrition per bite. Um, so that's the first big bucket. Like any leafy green, you know, can it be a mainstream food as part of your pantry that you use in a variety of ways? Yes. The second big super nutrient, though, has to do with iodine. And it really is, it's one of the world's most um, concentrated sources of naturally occurring iodine. Even the NIH recognizes that if you go to their, you know, health fact sheet. And iodine is so important for thyroid health. And, you know, I think the way a lot of eaters now have much more familiarity with gut health, and that conversation has really evolved and the marketplace has evolved over the past decade. So, um, you know, the way now we know about probiotics and these probiotic foods, and then even things like bone broths and gut health. I think we're at early stages of the thyroid conversation, hormone regulation, especially for women. Um, this, your thyroid is this small, but mighty gland that powers energy metabolism, very important in pregnancy and lactation to help lay the foundation for neural pathways for, you know, the next generation. So especially as women with energy, here's what we see adequate iodine is really important for adequate energy and healthy hormone regulation of your thyroid. And there's some evidence to suggest um, this is at the U.S. level, looking at our population, the NHANES database, um, women of reproductive age are probably not getting enough. There's some evidence that they are getting too little iodine. And that's 
you know, we are, as we move to some of these more natural foods, maybe we're steering clear of iodized salts because we're choosing other salts. We're eating a more plant-based diet and, you know, seafood and eggs are some of the richest sources, but iodine is even more, more potent. So that's one of the real like superstar nutrients that, um, especially when with Sachi and Rootless, what people are telling her, feeling the difference when there is a, a thyroid situation where getting enough iodine can, can really help ensure. So that's, that's one of the food is medicine. And then the third bucket, I would say it's chock full of antioxidants and bioactive compounds that actually are being studied for nutraceuticals. So powerful anti-cancer fighting, you know, signaling death of cancer cells and fighting cancer, and also even helping during chemotherapy, being chemoprotective, um, different antioxidants, foicodin, um, these new new terms that some of your listeners might not have heard before, but just knowing all those bioactive compounds that are really um, signaling your cells at a deep level for health. Yeah, it's just remarkable. I mean, it almost sounds like some crazy infomercial, right? But it's true. <laughs> it's true. And I feel like that whenever I talk about vegetables in general, but and then specifically talking about dark green leafy vegetables, it just becomes this like you sound like you're making, you know, you're making some hyperbolic statement, but it's true stuff and I feel like that's happening here too. And then there's the environmental piece that just makes it even better. I mean, it's just amazing. Um, so thank you for that. I just do want to talk about iodine because um, I think we do live in a world where people think because some is good, more is better. And I do think it's important to note that that's not true in general <laughs> and not true with iodine. So that doesn't, so definitely get important. So it is definitely important to get adequate iodine, mm -hmm. but you definitely also don't want to be over consuming too many iodine rich products. Is that, would you agree exactly. with that? No, that's very fair. I mean, it's, it's as with anything um, that you want to enjoy it in moderation. You want to read food labels. Um, but that said, and get making sure you're getting enough iodine and taking a look at your diet. And are you eating nutrient dense foods that can deliver iodine? Um, and, and, and in the right way. So check the daily value. Is it a hundred percent? Is it right. below a hundred percent? And how does that food fit? And then of course, for people with um, any concerns around thyroid, you would want to talk with your health practitioner. That's always a good idea, but it is worth also pointing out, Ellie, that many cultures historically have consumed these foods in moderate portions daily as part of a healthy diet. Right. So we're finding finding that that sweet spot, right? As consumers. Well, I always talk about context is everything, right? So it's we're always talking about here in the context of an overall balanced way of eating. So adding this is going to be most likely beneficial in that context. So we'll keep to that. But I do did think, I do think it's always worth reminding people, you know, because then all of a sudden people wind up getting out of balance because they focusing on this miracle food, quote unquote. And so, so always good to keep perspective on that. Um, so Ellie, yeah, I've, um, I've my favorite way that I've, I've, I've heard people describe iodine as the Goldilocks nutrients. So not, not too little, not too much. And I, I really love that framing. Yeah, totally. Goldilocks nutrient. I like it. 
Um, so let's talk about some of our favorite ways. Maybe we can each share some of our favorite ways to, um, to get seaweed into our lives. And I actually, I'm going to start with a funny story because my daughter loves those seaweed snacks and she loved them since she was in like preschool. She loved those little seaweed snack packets and they're regular in our house. And I remember tweeting about it or posting on social media about it. And somebody was like, oh, how could she likes those with big question marks. And then somebody else wrote, all these kids in Japan eat them. Why wouldn't she like them? So I think we have to open up our minds a little bit, um, many of us, to like, wow, yeah, kids all over the world like this stuff. And so do grownups. And so it's sometimes just our bias that gets in the way. So, um, so yeah, my daughter loves seaweed snacks. So do I. But I personally love to use nori. And I have... I'll, I'll, um, I have these recipes on my website, I believe, but I use nori, the crisp. I love the crispness of the nori. I particularly love that texture. So I'll use that as a wrap, just like, you know, inspired by nori wraps in Japan, but I'll put anything in it. I have a recipe with it with just like egg salad and some cut up cucumber in there. So just using nori as like a wrap for anything that you feel like eating for any type of sandwich or burrito-y type of thing. Um, so I love that. And I also, of course, love to put just some uh, crumbled seaweed into soup, some nori Typically, it would be in a miso soup, but hey, why not put it into a chicken soup? You could literally just take some and put it into any soup. It comes in all, you know, already crumbled in some cases, or you could just crumble some nori and put it in. And um, yeah, it's um, they typically serve it in ramen. So it's just a natural in soup. And what it does is flavor-wise is it adds this beautiful umami flavor. It's really one of the central umami tastes. Um, so umami, meaning that sense of savory deliciousness, that feeling that makes your mouth water. My mouth water actually, my mouth water is actually saying the word umami. So yeah, I love it on soup. So I'd love to hear your, your ideas of how you guys like to, to incorporate seaweed into your life. Well, well now I'm hungry. So there's <laughs> Mission accomplished, mission accomplished. My mouth is watering and I'm hungry. Um, so I, I love everything, Ellie, that you said, and I've definitely done eggs in, in nori and it's in a nori sheet and it's so delicious for breakfast. Um, my favorite way to cook with seaweed or as of recently has been seaweed butter. So I just throw whatever seaweed kind of flakes, granules, sometimes I have at home. Sometimes I even roast some uh, nori sheets and then crumble them up and throw it into some butter and have that in my fridge. And then I just fry stuff in it. So fry an egg potatoes, mushrooms, and seaweed is amazing. I mean, it's an umami bomb. Um, so I really enjoy it as that kind of savory, rich umami seasoning that I think amplifies a lot of plant-based cooking as well. I totally agree with that. And I, I just have to add that one of my favorite ways, my favorite new way to get seaweed into my life are the rootless bites, which I want to talk a little bit about more about those before I, I want to hear Kate, some of her favorite ways, but I, I do want to tell people about rootless because I love them. And it, what I love about it is if I were to go through the process of developing a recipe that I just wanted a little nibble, like a little kind of energy bite, it's exactly the ingredients I would use if I were making it myself. So it's sweetened with dates. It's gently sweet, 
It has nuts and seeds and seaweed and the flavors are great. There's coconut chai and orange pistachio and double strawberry. And you have new flavors coming out all the time. And I just, it's just like one bite. It's like so effortless and it's lovely with tea. And so I'm going to stop now because I'm gushing maybe too much, but I just really love the rootless bite. So thank you for those, for bringing those to the world, Sachi. Yeah, it's a new, Ellie, it's like a new opportunity to fit it into your day for people who are trying to explore it and and want a, a way that tastes good and is easy and easy to remember. So I, I too, that with a cup of tea. Um, but I, I'm also a savory girl. I like sweet, but I love savory. So dulse bacon is a really popular trend right now in plant-based. You can fry up dulse seaweed and use it like a PLT. Um, <laughs> And that's really yummy. And that umami, that rich umami meaty flavor is, is, is awesome. Wait, I want to dig into this for a minute. So Dulse, D-U-L-S-E. So I, I saw it in Whole Foods. I just went and kind of scouted my local Whole Foods. And I was really amazed. There's like just at least six or seven varieties of, of seaweed available there. And one of them was Dulse, but it was in this little like shaker container. But you're saying they sell it in like strips? Mm-hmm. The, and the- you, they do sell it in strips. Um, and I think the kind you saw is also really nice just as a seasoning, the way that Sachi was referring to. Um, and one of the nice things is the umami lets you get flavor with less sodium and salt. So for people who say you're in a household where someone is trying to watch salt or you're looking for like a way to add flavor without just using the salt shaker, those kinds of dull seasonings, um, or flakes are a really nice tool that you actually see in functional medicine quite a bit. So they sell it, I guess, in strips. And how do you turn it into bacon? I got I to try this for myself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you saute it up and it gets crispy. So, and then um, do you put like, and I do it in an oil, like I don't do it in an olive oil because that competes with flavor. So I'll do a really neutral oil, um, you know, an avocado or a coconut or something. Um, and so then do you add any like smokiness? Like I smoke pepper. Sometimes if I'm making like quote unquote mushroom bacon, which I'll do with shiitakes or whatever, I mm. usually season it with something smoky, like a smoked paprika or whatever. I uh, mean, I'd say anything that Ellie Krieger's adding is going to okay. be great <laughs> from a flavor standpoint. I've seen it done in a variety of ways. And in fact, um, at a culinary school, one culinary nutritionist we were talking with, she said, oh, we're making dulse ice cream. That's sort of that play on like a salted caramel um, ice cream. So How really novel ideas to play with, fun to play with um, yeah. or, or traditional. And then a really common one, the last tip I give for anyone listening, rehydrating some wakame seaweed and putting it in your grain bowl or in your salad, the way you might be doing with a scoop of kimchi or, you know, some other little ingredient in a bowl is a super easy way and a tasty way to add new flavor and texture notes to your salads and grain bowls. And it's a great way to have greens on hand in a really convenient way, because maybe, you know, you're, you're going to let that fresh kale or whatever go bad in your, in your fridge, but here you have this dried seaweed and you just rehydrate it and you have a similar flavor and texture for your grain bowl mm-hmm. on hand all the time. So that's kind of cool too. I love that convenience factor. Um, I love to take also the crisp seaweed and just crumble it up on top of a salad. 
like, or you can do, mm-hmm. do that on top of a grain bowl too, or even on rice, just like you're making quinoa or rice or some type of grain side. And then you just crumple some seaweed up in your hand and put it on top. And it's just really great. Maybe with some sesame seeds or something too, which is a little more classic combination. So these are all just super easy things. Keep it in your cupboard. It's not expensive. It's good for the environment. It's good for you. It's delicious. It adds adds umami. Why would you not do this? So why aren't more people eating seaweed? What's happening? Is it just that they're just not aware and they should all be listening to this podcast? Definitely. (laughs) I definitely think so. Um, You know, it's interesting. I think in my kind of early consumer research, I found, and Kate would love would love to hear your thoughts as well. I found seaweed to be quite polarizing as a food stuff. Um, I think the way that you were describing, you know, the big kind of question mark comment that you got in your on your on your social media post, I've definitely seen a lot of that. You know, people either love it or hate it. There's very little in between. Um, and I think the people who are not eating seaweed are averse to the kind of fishy, oceanic, kind of briny flavor profile, um, as well as the texture. I think some sometimes the texture can be an issue for uh, for some people. I think the other thing that I've I've been learning, you know, in the in, in the last two years of doing this is that there is a, it is definitely an education game. You know, I think talking about um, the umami, the savory, the health benefits, the benefits for the planet, uh, different ways to prep with it. Um, I think a lot of people are interested in eating it, but just are intimidated, you know, might not know how to prep with it, might not know how to cook with it. Um, so I think there's definitely an opportunity to just make it sexy, make it cool, mainstream it, um, make it delicious in, in, in several ways. Yeah, I would agree. I think there's, Um, many people who grew up with it as a cultural food and feel very comfortable around it. And that's really going to um, help share amazing ideas that we can start with as like, here's traditional ways to start enjoying it and incorporating it. And especially now with trends, people love global flavors. They want to travel through their plates in today's world when they might not be able to travel as much as they want to. Um, So it meets eaters where they are in a lot of ways. But when I think back to how I grew up, um, 15 years ago, was I eating kale the way I am now? No. Um, Even foods like avocados and mangoes, I did not grow up with them in my house. I'm from New England. I didn't grow up with avocados and mangoes, but I love incorporating them and they fit all of these buckets as a nutritionist, as a culinary person, um, and as someone who just loves serving good food to my family. So I, I really see seaweed, Ellie, as being in that space. And you're just an early adopter to what's coming because it's, it's going to be like many of these foods that the, the mass majority hasn't had a lot of exposure to, but through products like Rootless or all this innovation in the grocery store we've been talking about, they're going to have more touch points and then discover the joys of eating seaweed. So basically what you're saying is, and everyone's hearing it here first, that seaweed is the new kale. I mean, I think it's, I think it's trending that way. Yep. I'm I'm confident. (laughs) I would put my money on you, Kate, that's for sure. And Saji too. Um, So, so before we wrap up, I just want to see if there's anything else you wanted to add. No, this has been this has been so great. It's such a joy and pleasure to have this conversation, to do that education, to talk about the different ways to eat seaweed. 
um, and really highlight it as as a future food, future farming. It, I think it definitely deserves a place on the um, um, in the regenerative food system of the future. And, and I'm very excited to be on this journey to, to build that with, with you, Ellie, and, and with you, Kate. So thank you for having us, Ellie. Yeah. Thanks, Ellie. Well, it, there are so many delicious possibilities. And thank you for enlightening all of us. It is great having you here. And um, and we'll be trying some more ways to get seaweed. That's for sure. I know I feel inspired too. Thanks for listening. I hope you're inspired to get seaweed into your life. To get started, Sachi is extending us a special offer of 15% off a month's supply of Rootless Daily Bites. Thank you, Sachi. Just go to getrootless.com and use the code LE15. Join me next time for another one real good thing. <laughs>